Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Nader Dabit. Hello. We have a special guest host, and that's JC Hyatt. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm just going to plug real quick the DevRev again. Um, developer evolution focused on developer freedom. Uh, that's in your career, your code, and your life. Want to make sure that you're out there getting what you want from uh, writing code. Even if it's just a paycheck so you can do other things. Anyway, um, excited to talk about that. So go to thedevrev.com and check out the show. This week we have a special guest and that is Spencer. Let me see if I can get this right. Muscoviac. Wow, that was perfect. I think that was uh, the first time I ever heard it right on the first first go. But hey, all, thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Anyway, uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, I'm Spencer. I'm a software engineer, full stack at Handshake. We're about a 100-person company. We do kind of uh, recruiting software for colleges. So we partner with universities. um, And then those universities invite all of their students, all their employers, so employers can post jobs. um, And then students can apply through those. But we're really focusing on kind of democratizing that opportunity gap. So opportunity is not evenly distributed, but the skills that a lot of students have is all over the country. And we think that where you work and go to school should not, or where you go to school should not determine where you get to work and things like that. So focusing on a lot of that inequality in finding opportunity for college students across across the country. That's really interesting. I, I'd also be interested to see if you can expand into like boot camps and stuff. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity. I think for this, um, the first few years were really focused on the college universities just because mm-hmm. there's a pretty clear path there. But I think, like you said, there's so many other opportunities that there's just not an e- equal amount of opportunity. But the people everywhere, like students everywhere, whether that's college or university, have are, are talented all across the country. So nice. Well, we we got you on here today to talk about TypeScript with React. And, you know, before the, the show got rolling, it was interesting because we were chatting and, you know, you kind of joked, oh, I could say anything about TypeScript. But I, I've actually used TypeScript when I was writing Angular, you know, so I have some experience with it. But the thing that's interesting here is that with Angular, TypeScript is practically mandatory. I mean, you can do it the hard way and go with ES6 or something else. I, I think there's an Angular Dart variant. But with React, you know, it's kind of, I guess, more traditional to go with ES6, but not mandatory. Like all of the examples out there aren't written specifically in ES6. And it, it doesn't hurt you to, to kind of level up to TypeScript. And I'm kind of curious to hear your take on why React developers tend to go with ES6 and then what the, you know, what the trade-offs are going to TypeScript. Yeah, I think I think like you pointed out with with Angular, it's kind of mandatory. Whereas with React, there's not a ton of examples, or at least when we first adopted it. I think it's getting close to two years when we originally transitioned to React, and we decided to also adopt TypeScript. TypeScript was like a decision that was kind of bolted on. There wasn't a lot of like there wasn't a lot of opposition to it, but nobody was like I guess super excited to adopt it, in my opinion. And then kind of over the past two years. I think a lot of engineers here have really started to actually like love working with TypeScript. It's just enabled a lot of really nice tooling, um, helps us kind of like document things a lot clearer mm-hmm. and 
uh, it's it's caught countless things. I just love refactoring with it. I can just make a change, follow the 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 type errors, and and do those. So I think originally starting out, there wasn't anything that drew us to, to it, and we we're like, yeah, we have to use TypeScript. It gives us all of these things. But I think over the like over the years, we've really really seen the value in it, and do not regret the decision of of using TypeScript at all. I think making the decision right up front so we didn't have to like incrementally adopt it also made it a lot easier. I can imagine there'd be some pains if like half your app was in React and you then decided to adopt TypeScript or something like that. But since we decided to to, to use it right from the start, it's been pretty pretty delightful. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of people are like, oh, well, TypeScript has all these ES, um, what is it, the proposals for the ECMAScript standard. You know, they, they implement a lot of those things in the TypeScript VM and they're like, oh, so I can try out all the new features. But for me, the powerful thing, and this is funny because I came from a Ruby background and a JavaScript background, and I was like, uh, types, <laughs> right? And uh, that was the most powerful thing is wherever I implemented and said, you're going to expect this uh, type, this um, class, or this type of object, that's where it paid off because it was like, hey, you made a contract with me. I'm expecting something that's going to act this way and you didn't give me one. And so instead of getting the, you know, the funky errors out of JavaScript, it's TypeScript giving me a clear error. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. And so you can fix it. Yeah, for sure. I also had a lot of familiarity with Java from like school and things. And I did not have a good experience with that. And we're, our backend is all Rails. So definitely no typing there. Woo! But uh, uh, so actually, you're into Rails, check out Ruby Rogue. Hey, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Surprised we didn't have more opposition to it from the start, but I've actually heard some people say, "Oh man, going from uh, writing front-end features in TypeScript to to, to Rails would be kind of nice to have some types in here once in a while to know to know what's actually expected." But um, like you were saying, that contract I think is really nice with with components because like the props are really that uh, kind of public-facing um, contract with whatever feature you're using using it with, um, and it's kind of nicer than like prop types um, because prop types are runtime, whereas with TypeScript, it's compile time. So you don't even have to open the browser to see those errors and see that you're missing props or like figure out what, what's missing. I have a question there. So since you adopted TypeScript, has there been a measurable difference in uh, maybe the amount of bugs or, or just even the speed at which you're able to fix bugs? Yeah, I don't think we have like any solid metrics around that. So I can't speak to that confidently, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's like cleared up a lot of um, code paths or like abstractions and like how things actually work and like what's expected. Because before this, we were using uh, Knockout and CoffeeScript, which can be quite difficult to see where all of this data is flowing. Um, I actually didn't get to interact with it much, but just trying to wrap my head around all of this like observability and like how these mutations affect these and like this mixing of the HTML and like string on-click handlers and like special syntax looping things was quite confusing to me. And I I think we still have quite a few errors that are caused by those things just because like objects are undefined or things like that, whereas that's drastically limited when when using TypeScript. So I think it catches some silly things of like, oh, this object could be undefined. Make sure it's like defined before you actually start calling properties on it and things like that. So you mentioned your back end is in Ruby. Uh, did you mention the front end? I'm guessing it's React. Yeah. When we originally started, the app was pretty much a pure Rails app. So we adopted everything that Rails gave us out of the box. So CoffeeScript, Knockout, Rails, I think it was probably like Rails 3 or 4. And then mm -hmm. now um, we still have some, quite a bit of legacy Knockout and CoffeeScript, but now we use Webpack, React, TypeScript, um, Redux, and those things. 
So you mentioned or you talked about how like maybe it catches bugs and it helps, you know, or it could help there, but you don't have any metrics there. But like, I'm kind of curious, I always hear people say um, when they're talking about the negatives of TypeScript that it slows down development time because you end up spending um, a lot of times trying to fix um, IDE, like warnings and errors and things like that, and working with packages that you're using that don't have support for types. Um, Have you run into any of that? Has that been an issue? Yeah, I think like definitely starting out, there is a huge learning curve for everybody in the team. There's like no in-house experts because TypeScript was relatively new and we just started using it. So definitely early on, there was that struggle. But I think now there's quite a few members on the engineers on the team that like have a pretty deep knowledge of it and like really know how to get some some gnarly types going. So like if you ever run into that, there's plenty of people willing to hop on um, and pair through those. But starting out, there wasn't great community adoption, especially kind of in the like NPM package world. Hardly any packages had first-party types, and maybe 50% of the package had third-party types through like the definitely type repo, which is a mono repo of third-party typings for packages that don't have first-class types. But now there's like huge projects like React Apollo is written in TypeScript, so those types are first-class and guaranteed to be accurate because the output types are what the package is written in. So things like that, I think there's a lot more community adoption. So it's like made our lives nicer and easier because we have all of these correct typings. But early on, we had to kind of just like stub those out and say like this package exists, whatever we do with it, we know what we're doing. And like it was typed as any, so you could do whatever you wanted. So we did lose that type type checking, interacting with those, those modules that didn't have any uh, types defined, either third party or first party for those. Um, and then when we initially adopted TypeScript, I don't think like uh, there's an option in tsconfig for like the... TypeScript compiler to enable strict mode. I don't think that existed when we first adopted it. So we have a little bit more uh, loose type tracking with ours. So I think with strict type tracking, like if an object's attribute could be like undefined, you have to wrap that in an if or like safely navigate that basically to make sure it actually exists. Whereas like we don't have that in our code base because I think we have a little bit like softer, softer rules. But um, so I think that helps with trying to work through some of those gnarly errors of just like loosening it up a little bit. And then there's always the escape patch, which I think if you really just need to use the hammer to like cast it to any and just like do what you need to do with it to get the job done, but like try to use that as kind of like a last resort if if the types maybe are just incorrect for something. Do you ever change the the type config for libraries that you don't own? Yes, I actually just just did this recently. So React has third party types, which are pretty actively maintained since React's a pretty massive project. But I wanted to experiment with React hooks recently, so using TypeScript so that I could kind of have an idea of like what these hooks were expecting, kind of like the callbacks and what what could be used there. And the types weren't yet merged upstream into this definitely type repo, which provides these third-party typings. Um, so you can actually just create a file, a type definition file. It's like, I think it's like .d.ts. And then you can just kind of um, not override, but like add on to the type definitions for React. So I just copied and pasted the proposed types. So then I could upgrade to... React Alpha 16.7 or yeah, 16.7 and then use React hooks and also have like the correct types for it. So there's some some options there. And then for um, packages that just don't have types, you can just define a custom type definition, but that kind of requires you to go through the package, kind of like look at the API or maybe just write types for only the part of that package that you're using. Makes sense to me. Now that TypeScript is baked in to create React app, do you foresee it like really um, like uh, getting a widespread adoption in the React ecosystem? That's a great question. I mean, from my perspective, I hope so. Um, 
So like before this, I know you could use the the custom somebody like for create react app and then created like a TypeScript script, I think is what it's called for create react app. And then that was basically uh, merged directly into it. So I'm pretty excited about that. I, I, I enjoy using create react app, like for little side projects or like seeing how hooks work or like experimenting with things. But um, I'm hoping now that it's so easy, uh, kind of like Angular almost enforces you to use TypeScript, but now with create react app, hopefully it makes it easier to use TypeScript. Whereas like when we started out, we had to like figure out a lot of things on our own and kind of like patch all these things together from all these different blog posts. So I'm hoping the ease of it makes it more accessible to a lot of people. Um, And additionally, now I think there's a lot more community around in the sense of like all of these typings, packages themselves are being written in TypeScript. So it seems to be gaining momentum. And I would like to at least think that because I'm I'm a big fan of using it. And I think it's, it's helped us with several things. I think it would be awesome now that it's baked in that like maybe there'll be a whole lot more like articles and things like you're saying, but also kind of hope that it doesn't become, you know, I don't think it would be like the React way if it was like enforced in the way that Angular enforces it, right? Yeah, I, I doubt that. Although I think I saw like Vue version 3 is being re- rewritten in TypeScript possibly, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I would assume React wouldn't be. Although there wouldn't be any like downside to React being written in TypeScript because it still just outputs JavaScript and you can use that with whatever, with however you want. But then the upside, I guess, would be the first party typing. So like when 16.7 alpha is released, you also have 16 alpha types directly released alongside of it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, in a TypeScript file, you can just write JavaScript. I mean, because yeah. it's essentially just JavaScript with, with types. But um, yeah. in fact, uh, just to pile on that point for a minute, the TypeScript tooling makes writing regular JavaScript really, really easy. And it does catch a lot of issues there too. Anyway, go ahead, Nader. Sorry. I, didn't mean no, I was just going to say the main difference would be like if React uh, moved to it, would be like you would start seeing documentation and things written in, in TypeScript, which would be um, a big shift, I think. But um, I have a question. I know that Charles mentioned how you can um, use TypeScript to compile and try out new features. It's essentially what Babel does. And from my understanding, you can, you can actually just drop Babel and use the TypeScript compiler. But there's also some trade-offs there. Like I know that I've seen some GitHub issues where people have tried to do that. And there were certain features that weren't there. So they ended up compiling their TypeScript to JavaScript and compiling that through Babel. Like, what's the story there? Like, what's the, the best way to do that, I guess? Got it. Yeah, I actually don't know a lot about that at all. I think, um, I mean, we just pretty much take the, the raw output from TypeScript once it's ran through the compiler. And that's, that's what we use for our JavaScript as far as I'm aware. We don't use Babel or anything else, but that would be an interesting workflow potentially. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Interesting. Did you say you set it up through Webpack or do you have it running through some other system? Yeah, so TypeScript out of the box, you can just use the like TypeScript compiler. Mm-hmm. I think it's like TS, TSC to just uh, compile the TypeScript files to JavaScript. But then we want to do some other things like include some CSS and other things. So Webpack is, is useful for that. So we use, I think initially we used Awesome TypeScript Loader for a loader in, type, in Webpack. And then now I think we just use TS Loader. And then there's some other things, like we use the fork TS checker plugin something, which basically means that one plugin is running and um, doing the compilation, but then it does the type checking in another, in another thread so that it's non-blocking, so that as you're doing development, you can immediately start like click testing these things and then have the type checking slightly delayed. So the downside is like you might have something in your browser that like doesn't compile and like was 
obviously caught by the type checker, but the upside is it's a little faster. In development, that is. Mm-hmm. Have you used uh, Parcel with TypeScript at all? That's what we're using at work, and I was just curious, like if it's uh, you know, if the support that they claim is actually like as good as they say. No, I actually haven't even played around with Parcel at all. Parcel at all, but that would be interesting to see what what they support out of the box and kind of like how that works. Yeah, I may try it out. I, I, well, I think they say they have TypeScript support. Um, if I wanted to adopt this at work, like what's the best? First off, what are a couple of like really good resources for someone? Um, that are like junior friendly, and also like, is this something I can incrementally adopt? Since it's you know, you can just write plain JavaScript in the files. Yeah, in terms of incremental adoption, I actually don't know for sure. Since um, we kind of adopted it right from the start, so we didn't really have to work through any of those problems. But I'm pretty sure you can basically just rename a JavaScript file to like .ts, or if you're using JSX, .tsx, and you can immediately just get type checking because I'm pretty sure any JavaScript will be valid TypeScript. It might not be. Same uh, with ES6. It's it's a superset of both. And so if you're it. using any of those, you can you should be able to rename the files and just use them. Yeah. So cool. I, th- I think you might run into a few type bears depending on how strict you have, but you could start with like some looser, looser uh, compiler settings to kind of not have to fix all of those right away. Or probably just like disable some of those, maybe like inline in the file. I'm not actually sure how that works directly either, but yeah. Any particular uh, people or... Or websites uh, where you know you can get started with TypeScript. That's a good question. So TypeScript has pretty robust docs, but I've never found them very uh, beginner friendly. A lot of times when I want to go learn uh, a new feature that was released in a recent version of TypeScript, see like in what use case this could be useful. I usually have to read it a few times, like find a few other examples. Their examples are usually a little bit uh, non-trivial. So I think their docs is a great place if you like really want to deeply understand how to use something or like. The, the potential like edge cases of things. It's not a great beginner resource. I'm actually struggling to think of, of a good beginner resource. I haven't actually come across anywhere that like consistently puts out something that I think is easy for beginners to pick up. But I'm going to definitely keep my eye out for that now. Is there a chat channel or a Gitter channel or something that you can get help on or maybe a, a Reddit or some other forum where they have threads or anything like that? None that I've joined, but I, I'm sure there is. I just haven't sought those out. I've opened an issue before on their on their repo for the main TypeScript and they were like super responsive to actually like fix the issue within like 24 hours and it was in the next release, which was pretty exciting. So they're definitely responsive and like open to the community, but I, I, I just haven't sought out any of those like venues, I guess. But I'm sure they exist. So how are you using it? Like wh- where have you seen the major payoffs in uh, things at Handshake? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I mentioned refactorings earlier and I think this is just my favorite example is um, we have a button component because everybody has to have a button component is the best mm-hmm. example of, of, of everything um, but we were using kind of like boolean flags for the different variations the button can be so we kind of stuck with the bootstrap naming convention of like primary success danger warning all of those variations and originally I was a big fan of the like um, kind of the API of just saying like button warning and that was like warning equals true like implicitly and i really like that api but we kind of uh backed away from that approach because it allows you to easily get into an impossible state so if you do warning button warning success danger which of those is actually going to be applied it's like quite confusing also requires the developer to actually remember all of those variations whereas so we're not even like leveraging typescript for like autocomplete or anything whereas if you just have a single like variant prop and that's just like a string enum of danger, success, whatever. 
you just have to remember that very prompt, and then um, TypeScript will give you the auto-suggest of all of those enums, and you can see all of those right there. The other upside is that you can ensure that you can't get into an impossible state because you can only have one variant prop. You can only choose one of those strings, so you can't have like primary warning, all of these, and who knows what's actually going to happen in that functionality isn't supported. So we wanted to change that, but the buttons used in like 600 or 1,000 places throughout the application. And I think without TypeScript, I would have just said, well, we're stuck with this API. We're not changing it. It's, it, it is what it is. But with TypeScript, it's really nice because I just removed all of those props, added a new variant prop, and then I just followed the compiler. And we had zero regressions, I believe, like in production after this change. And there's only like one or two places where the type checker didn't actually work because things were being casted to any. Uh, so that's that's the downside of, of casting things with, with any, I guess. But that refactoring took me probably like an hour. And that whole hour was just like finding all of the, or just following the compiler and like fixing those places. So that was just an example of like something that is very, that, that TypeScript made very easy. And otherwise we probably would have just said, this is this is what we're stuck with and we're not going to change it because it's just not worth worth the risk of breaking buttons in production. Mm-hmm. Sorry, another thing that I just just thought of, another example of TypeScript that is really nice, or at least what I've, I've seen to be really nice, is we use Redux. Um, we kind of have a standardized global root store is what we call it. So it's kind of like the same root store that everything throughout our application uses. Um, and because that's standardized, we can create a standardized type interface for that. So when you're writing um, your map state to props in React Redux, you pass in that state, root state type, and then you just have autocomplete type checking as you're kind of accessing those. So if you have like state.entities.some entity type, and you kind of like pull out a entity from like a database entity from your Redux store, you just have type checking along that whole way. So uh, as long as you type that global root state, all of that can be inferred, can be passed to your uh, component props, and basically you can just infer everything from that root state. And so once you're actually writing your component implementation, doing like this.props.item or something, uh, that item is like properly typed because that was inferred all the way from the global Redux store. So I think that's just like kind of another example of where types are kind of nice just throughout the process of creating a component and pulling data from Redux and just kind of have type checking throughout that entire process. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So for people that are just JavaScript developers that have never really worked with types, how hard do you think it is to kind of get up and running with with TypeScript, if you want to just start using it, maybe in a new project, is it something that they can learn like um, pretty easily, or what's your experience with that? Yeah, I think since we adopted it, and for the most part, all of our new front end features are written in TypeScript. That like every engineer that has to work on a feature here has been able to pick it up to a sufficient level to like create features. But I think um, like was pointed out before, Create React app has it built in now, so it's like very easy to get set up. Um, and running. And then 
just renaming jobs, a JavaScript file to TypeScript, automatically that code is valid TypeScript, assuming it passes the compilation. So I think in terms of just like getting up and started, it's pretty easy. And then I think if it's just kind of like a side project and playing around and trying to kind of see how it works, you always have that any type. So like if you just don't want to invest the next half hour to like fully understand what does this mean? Like what is this issue? You can just throw an any in there and kind of like move on and then come back to it later. But I think when you run into those issues where like you just really have to dive in and understand the types is really when I've I, when I've come out of those situations is when I have like a deeper understanding of TypeScript and like really understanding how the types in TypeScript are actually working and like looking out for potential issues in the future and like when other people are having a similar error, like, oh, I've ran into this error before and this is kind of how, how I approached it. So with, uh, with the Create React app uh, supporting TypeScript now, what does that exactly mean? Does it, all, does it automatically create the initial scaffold in TypeScript? Yeah, exactly. So it's basically like Create React app instead of uh, like app.jsx, you're going to get app.tsx, um, index.ts instead of index.js. Um, and then in addition, it's going to output a tslint.json, I believe, which is just a tslint config. So it's uh, lit TypeScript linting. So catching standard issues with TypeScript that the, the linter can catch. And it's also going to output a tsconfig with a reasonable default, I think some like stricter rules enabled, then you can easily loosen those up. But like if you run create react, react app with the TypeScript flag, you can immediately run like yarn start and you're running a TypeScript app. Yeah, you have to use a flag, right? It's not default, right? Yep, it's, it's a flag to enable it. So have you ever worked with Flow? And uh, can you kind of talk about the, the trade-offs between the two? And I know that TypeScript seems to be getting more momentum these days. I actually have not worked with Flow at all. And I've heard people, uh, I think we just actually recently hired a few people that have experience with Flow. And I'm really excited for like three or six months in it and to ask them like, hey, how, what do you think about Flow versus TypeScript? So I actually don't, I don't know. But like you said, it does kind of seem that TypeScript is gaining more momentum. But I don't know that for sure. So you have an article on Medium about um, uh, CSS modules and and um, and kind of how how you use them. And I was just curious: did did you guys decide to go with uh, CSS modules, like because at at the time, like there there weren't really any CSS and JavaScript libraries, or was it just like maybe there were, but they they didn't have type support? Or or can you speak a little bit more about that about choosing? where to go with CSS and if you're also using TypeScript and how you have to make those play together? Yeah, so I think we kind of decided to make the, the move to CSS modules pretty close to when we made the initial switch to React TypeScript and, and using Webpack for building our front-end assets. I think today, it would probably be a closer tie between CSS modules versus uh, styled components or some CSS and JS solution. But I, I think it's a pretty good solution and it's worked well for us, especially on like a larger app. So like I kind of mentioned earlier, we came from the Rails world, which has uh, SAS built in. Uh, so it supports all of the like variables and function, function mix in helpers and things like that. So we don't want to like drastically change that world and just go from like, okay, you're writing everything in SAS and now you're just writing all of your like inline, inline styles. And I don't know exactly if, I don't think at that time styled components existed. There might have been some other solutions. I think the only other option we were really considering at the time was probably um, like uh, React support for the style object. But the nice thing about CSS modules is we can still write it in SAS. So basically, we can take all of those global style sheets from Rails and like cut and paste those into individual components and kind of not have to rewrite everything to match the, the CSS and JS solution. But now with styled components, you could almost just copy and paste those as well, probably. 
but it's I think it's it's worked well. It, it keeps the component definitions relatively clean. Uh, when I've experimented with styled components, I felt like the top of my component definitions ended up being a hundred lines of all of these custom styles but maybe that was just like bad practice and like in a larger app there's there's better practices around that and like cleaning that up but i still kind of like keeping that css separate but we kind of use a pods approach so we kind of have a folder for each component and within that folder it has the test for that component it has the component definition and then it has the styles for that so each component just like imports the style directly living alongside of it um, the nice part about that is if you delete the component you can easily delete the the test and styles directly with it and then the other nice thing CSS modules gets us is it automatically namespaces all of those. So you can use the dot button class 300 times and you won't have any global namespace collisions like you would, like we would have in the Rails world where all of the classes are global. And we, you had to try to follow like some convention, like a BEM convention, which mm-hmm. just gives you 100 character long class names that are ungodly long. Um, so I'm a big fan of CSS modules. I think it works well for us. And it's kind of... I think it's a, it's it's easy for beginners to pick up if you have any CSS experience. Just write CSS here, but the only difference is now this is uh, local to this component and it's it's not going to leak. So like I think it's even easier for beginners than maybe just raw CSS because it it removes that kind of like global global uh, class name leaking and still just gives you the direct um, access to writing CSS. But I think mm-hmm. we would 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 probably reconsider styled components if we were remaking the decision today. But I think we're pretty invested in the CSS modules and like we haven't ran into any pain from it. So cool. Thanks. I'm I'm curious just on the rails front. We've had uh, Justin, uh, what's his name uh, from Shaka code. Anyway, he, he and uh, his team have built uh, react on rails and it uses Webpacker, which helps you manage Webpack. Is that kind of the route you've gone or do you have your own custom Webpack set up? Yeah, so this is something that we definitely want to rework. Um, we haven't changed it since we initially transitioned two years ago, and we're kind of seeing where we're running into a lot of obstacles now. So right now, our setup is Webpack puts out outputs a uh, JavaScript bundle, and then from there, the Rails asset pipeline just picks up that and puts it through the Rails asset pipeline. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not great. So you I can was imagine- say that doesn't sound ideal to me. No. No, so it, it works. We just, we just haven't invested in changing that. So you can imagine right. the downside. So uh, it, it worked nicely right off the bat because Webpacker didn't exist at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rails needed some way to know where that file lived. So putting it through the Rails asset pipeline fingerprints that file and Rails can figure yeah. out where that is. The biggest pain I think we're having is <laughs> we can't push source maps to Bugsnake. So we use Bugsnake for uh, errors, so we can't get those source maps to have some prettier code to look at when we're actually trying to debug those those errors because the source maps would be from Webpack, but then Rails is also touching that file and making some changes, so that source map would no longer be valid. And think source maps with the Rails asset pipeline is just at least when we looked into it was was non trivial, but definitely want to rework that. That's yeah. the current state of things. So, what's the testing story with uh, React and TypeScript? Is it is it better? Is it the same? Is it worse? I would say it's about the same. So any benefits that you get from TypeScript with like the type writing a React component is basically what you get um, when writing tests. Um, we haven't done anything, any any anything any like fancier, I guess, with leveraging TypeScript for tests. It's it's pretty standard. I've seen some open source packages. I think Apollo does this where they just have a file and you just write a bunch of code and none of that code is ran. It just does this file compile against the type definitions. And it's kind of a way of asserting that uh, 
there's no regressions in the type definitions, which I think could be a useful approach for some like core components or core infrastructure pieces to a front end. But I think that would maybe be the only interesting thing that I've personally seen using TypeScript. Mm -hmm. I have a question that's, uh, I guess, slightly off topic. Uh, just one of your other articles uh, on Medium was about uh, using dot notation with uh, TypeScript components. I actually had a question just about the dot notation side of that. Uh, like, I actually haven't used that um, where you have like a, you know, a, I guess, nested components and you just access them with dot notation. Can you speak a little bit about that, like how that works? Yeah, I think I originally saw this in like a React Bootstrap or something. There was like a media component and it had like, media item or something. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how that works. So I, I think I tried like two or three times to do it with TypeScript and I just couldn't figure out the type definitions and I wanted it to be typed uh, correctly. So I just kind of bailed out and finally figured out how to do it. And I think we've used it in quite a few places. And I, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of it when it is um, in a small set of components or components that you likely need to use together. So I think um, the, the best example that I can think of is our search components. So we have quite a few search pages like students searching for jobs or events or employers. So there's all these different search UIs that students need, need to be able to search. And then also like the same for like employers and universities. So we have a lot of different like UI constraints for those, functional constraints and like what actually needs to happen there. So rather than having a single monolithic like search component with hundreds of props with insane branching in it, we took the approach of having like probably like 50 different components that are very specific and you only use that component if you want like this functionality or this functionality. Um, but when you're building those, the chances are that you're going to use like 20 or 30 of those probably. So having an import at the top of your file, like import search, import search results, import search count, and all of those would be a little painful. So we used dot notation. So you just import search and then it's just like search, search dot count, search dot whatever you need. And then with TypeScript, you still get all that type ahead and type checking. So you don't have to worry about any of that. But it's actually pretty nice. Um, search is complex. But if you're just like, oh, I wonder if this component exists, you just type search dot. And then TypeScript just gives you the whole list of components that you can use for those search components, which I found to be pretty useful. The only downside, specifically with TypeScript, is if you connect it. So if you have our top level search component is connected to Redux using React Redux. So that connect uh, is wrapping it in a higher order component. Um, so luckily that properly hoists static attributes. So all of those like dot count dot things are all static attributes on that search component. So those are properly hoisted, but TypeScript, the type definitions, I, I think it's probably impossible to kind of like infer those type definitions from that wrapped component and like hoist those types, those static types to that parent. So we kind of have to cast it to get those those back on there because we know the internals is hoisting those static attributes, but the, the type definitions aren't following along with it. So that's the only issue I found there. And then I think one other one other issue is if you do this liberally or just like too much and you import that search component, you're going to be importing every single component. So for us, that's fine because we know you're going to have to use most of those components. But if you want to like be able to tree shake or have some do some code splitting, as soon as you import that search component, you're importing all of those search components. So that's just like another thing to kind of be aware of with that. But yeah. How does, uh, just syntactically, how does that work as far as just like creating a, um, you know, a, a component to use dot notation with? Like, how does that work in that file? Uh, got it. Yeah. So, um, so there's kind of two approaches. One approach is where like that top level component is just an object basically. And so an example of this is we have like uh, track, uh, click tracking, impression tracking, and that's all is on this like track 
object and that track object itself isn't a component it's just an object so it's like track.click track.impression and a few other things so that is a pretty simple just like object this key is this component um, the search component is a little more complex because the search component it's or the search itself is a component so that is just a class in it and it has a public static component name so it's like public static count equals search count component so we just like import search count at the top of it and then just assign it as a public static class. Gotcha. Cool. So are you guys doing anything with like React Native or anything like that uh, with TypeScript or is that a little bit beyond what you're really looking at with Handshake? Uh, we do have a mobile app. It's uh, native though. I think we made okay. the, we, we discussed it early on, but I think we went down the path of natives. Okay. Nader, have you talked to anyone who's doing uh a TypeScript slash React Native app? Um, I think what we're seeing in uh, React Native is similar to React. You know, a lot of people that um, are using uh, React are choosing to go with typed or not. And then when they make the decision to use types, they then decide whether or not to use TypeScript. And I think in the beginning, um, a lot of people were using Flow, but I think you're seeing uh, kind of a shift towards TypeScript now. So it's kind of a similar situation to the, the React web ecosystem. I would say probably a similar uh, a number of people are using it as far as percentage-wise in React Native. Gotcha. Yeah, I know here that at AWS, we have the AWS Amplify library, which is kind of a library that works across uh, React Native as well as a bunch of other JavaScript libraries. And we're uh, using TypeScript. So. That's cool. I think it's cool tech. So I'm, I'm happy to see, see people using it. All right. Anything else that we should jump on here? I will take silence as a no. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't really have anything else. I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah, we did. Spencer, if people want to follow you or see what you're working on these days, where do they find you online? Yeah, I mean, probably Twitter's the best option. Spencer Scobie on Twitter. I don't really tweet that often, but when I do, it's usually like an article that I wrote about some topic about TypeScript or CSS modules or something in that realm. So definitely follow me there. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, you spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. JC, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. Um, so I actually just... Uh, my, my beats kind of bit the dust and uh, uh, just from taking them to the gym all the time. And so I just got a new pair of wireless headphones. I was uh, kind of out comparing uh, different ones and I settled on the uh, Sony... Uh, let's see. I think it's the Mark 300s, MX1003s or something like that. Yeah, the, the Sony 1000 XM3s. And man, the noise cancellation on these things is awesome. Uh, so I highly recommend. They're really comfortable. I've been wearing them all day. Um, I've taken calls on them and people seem to be able to hear me fine. So 
yeah, uh, they're they're a bit pricey, but but they're they're about on par with uh, Bose in terms of price. But they're great. Nice, uh, Nat. Are you ready, or do you want me to go? Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of picks. Um, they're both kind of around some of the stuff I'm working on at work. So one of them is this is kind of not really, I guess, related to AWS. It's a, a blog that I manage called Open GraphQL, and um, it's kind of like a community um, driven publication on Medium where we accept writers that like to write about GraphQL across the entire GraphQL ecosystem. So we have posts around um, Apollo. We have posts around Hasura. We have posts around pretty much anything that is GraphQL related. So um, we have a pretty big readership so far. We have tens of thousands of people kind of reading it every month. But we're looking to get additional writers. So if you're interested in GraphQL and you want to read it, check it out. But if you're interested in writing also, um, reach out to me. We'd like to add you as a writer. And then um, reInvent is going to be uh, coming up soon. By the time this episode is out, it's going to be um, it's going to have already happened. And we're releasing a couple of big things um, within AWS Mobile, where I work. Uh, one of them is uh, with AWS AppSync, which is the managed GraphQL service. We're adding um, a new first-class database. So a lot of times, people uh, they want to use a SQL database. Right now, we only have first-class support for NoSQL. So we're adding uh, Aurora, which is like a SQL database. Um, first class. And then we're uh, adding a new feature called Pipeline Resolvers. And they basically allow you to take your GraphQL resolvers and have uh, multiple data sources for a single uh, field in your GraphQL uh, type or your GraphQL query or mutation. So essentially, you can resolve um, from uh, one data source and then use the um, property that's returned from that data source to hit another data source and then take the calculated um, response from there, kind of like a pipeline. So those two features are coming out. And then with uh, Amplify, we're uh, releasing a couple of things. The main one is multi-environment support. So right now, if you're using Amplify and you want to have like a prod, a test, a dev environment, it's not that easy. We're adding that to make it easy. Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. You know, I mentioned the new show coming up. I'm going to be doing that on YouTube as well. So I, I should mention that, uh, that I'm going to be doing that there. I've also started listening to the Gary V uh, show podcast. And so I'm going to pick that a shout out about that. And then JC, I would also just as one of my picks like you to pitch your podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a podcast called uh, Refactor Your Body. It's um, I have a side hustle called Devless, where we help developers get fit. And um, yeah, we have a podcast called Refactor Your Body where we have uh, we, we do episodes on fitness and nutrition and such. And we also have guests on. Um, uh, we've actually had Natter on the show. Um, had a few other guests and uh, they talk about like how they uh, maintain their fitness and stuff like that and and also you know uh, balance that out with work and stuff so yeah check it out it's a uh, podcast.devlifts.io all right spencer do you have some picks for us yeah i guess maybe a shameless plug uh i've been working with a coworker on a podcast as well rubberducking.fm talking about things we're doing at handshake front end related ish nice. a lot of topics basically what we discussed today um i think another Shout out to just kind of the future of React. So I, I was messing around this weekend with some of the React Cache, React Suspense, React Hooks, and I was just like really made me really excited about where the future of React is going. I think there's a lot of pain points that are being solved um, in future releases and just really looking forward to that. And maybe just a non-technical shout out. I recently read a book, uh, Endurance by Scott Kelly. He was the astronaut that spent a year in space. Really interesting book, kind of his, his path to becoming an astronaut. And I think early on, it stated um, since the International Space Station opened in like the early 2000s, 
early 2000s. All humans haven't been on Earth since the early 2000s, which I think is kind of crazy to think about. Like, what if all humans are never on Earth ever again because we just spend all this... There's some humans in space at all times, which I think is just kind of a crazy thought that I want to shout out that book. But yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us about TypeScript. Uh, This is definitely a technology that I get excited about. So uh, hopefully some more people will go try it out. Yeah, thank you all. You asked a ton of great questions. Love talking about TypeScript, as, as you can probably tell. I'm pretty excited about it. All right, folks, we'll wrap this one up, and we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.